0: Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. How have you been changed? That's a pretty amazing question in some ways, isn't it? We talk about salvation. We talk about what God has done. We talk about what the Lord is able to do. We sing it all the time. We preach it all the time. We get into the Word of God and, and we really begin to walk through uh, the issue of transformation, becoming more like the Lord and, and the fact that God lives in us in order to accomplish that through our lives, in our lives and through our lives, is amazing. Can you remember back? What did you used to be? We saw a wonderful testimony this morning of baptism, and baptism is just an out, outward expression of an inward reality. When God changes us, something happens. We become Children of God, we've been brought near not by our works, not by any effort that we can put into it, not because of anything that we deserve, but rather because of the grace of Christ. We have the opportunity of believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, and when we believe in him, he promises us he will save us. How have we been changed? When's the last time you took some time and just thought through the salvation that God has provided and you look back on your life and you know that you know that you know when you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, there was a change. I think that's important to think about and I think Acts chapter 9 speaks to this very clearly. We saw the conversion of of Saul uh, and he obviously becomes Paul later on and He becomes a believer. God meets with him in a miraculous way. God confronts him in a loving way. We know from Saul's own testimony that the Lord said to him, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. The Lord had been at work in in his life all along. Perhaps one of those goads was Stephen and watching Stephen stoned to death and Stephen praying and asking the Lord not to hold this sin against them. Maybe it was Stephen's sermon and how he walked through a 30,000-foot view of the nation of Israel and how grace and faith and, and Christ are all in the midst of the, the history of Israel. Maybe it was the testimony of the saints that Saul made sure were beaten, some killed, placed in prison. We don't know, but we do know that God was doing a work in his life. And Saul's converted. Ananias comes to him, prays for him. He's given back his sight. The Holy Spirit comes into his life. He's baptized. And in chapter 9, verses 19 and following, we begin to see Saul transformed. Saul, absolutely different. Saul, 180 degree turn. All the energy and all the zeal that he put into serving God incorrectly without knowledge is now put into serving the Lord and serving God With the truth of the word of God and the Holy Spirit indwelling him to empower him within the calling that he's been given. It's amazing. I want to share this with you because I I think this is important. we we got to be careful of of comparing ourselves uh, to Saul too much. Saul's unique. He was called to an apostolic ministry. He's got some special factors going on in his life. He was trained under Gamaliel. He knew the Old Testament uh, from very early on, and he was very proficient at expressing the word of God. He was called to be an apostle, very specific calling. But I would suggest that one thing we all do absolutely, if we are believers, have in common with Saul is we have a testimony. We have a testimony. We are witnesses of what God is able to do. So in the midst of this story, I think it's important to understand that every one of us that have been transformed by Christ, that have believed in Christ, we have a testimony to share. And as the Lord leads and as the Lord gives opportunity, we ought to be immediately willing to say yes to the Lord and to express the change, the difference that God has made in our lives. I don't know why four things just keep coming to my mind, but I I jumped from three things to four things, and so it's just been four things the last couple weeks. So it's four things again today. It seemed to work the last time, so I figured out if it's it's not broke, why fix it? You know? (laughs) Before things this morning, an amazing transformation. Paul is transformed. He's saved. There's an arresting plot. The the Jews, they're so angry about Paul's salvation, they can't believe it. I mean, here he is. He, He was going up to Damascus to arrest believers and put them in jail and beat them and even kill them. And all of a sudden, he's in the synagogues, and he's actually persuading the Jews about Christ. I mean, this is like, what? What happened here? And they want to kill him. They want to get rid of him. And God provides an amazing escape for him. There's an accepted association. He tries to get back into Jerusalem. And man, I don't know about you, but if Paul came in and, and my family had been persecuted because of him, I, and he's suddenly saying that he's a believer, I might take a couple steps backwards myself. You think? No, you're too spiritual for that, right? You wouldn't do that. Of course, we, we would wonder, why what, what? is this a plot? So they, there's a problem here in terms of the, the church in Jerusalem even being willing to receive Saul to themselves. And in the midst of it all, there's peace for the church. And God begins to do and continues to do. Amazing things in growing the body of Christ, not only numerically and multiplying the body of Christ, but foundationally in unifying them and growing them in the fear of the Lord. And as a result, there was a multiplication of what God was doing. Look at the first part, verse 19 with me, an amazing transformation. It says, now for several days, he, meaning Saul, was with the disciples who were at Damascus. Remember Ananias has come to him. Ananias uh, uh, he kind of told the Lord what the Lord already knew. Really? You want me to go talk to Saul? Don't you, you, Lord, you remember who this guy is, right? And the Lord was patient with him. I love that picture. Ananias was being transparent and honest with the Lord, and I think that's important for us. At times, there are things that we're not really sure, and there are times where we go to the Lord and we ask him questions, and I think that's all right. It's not okay to doubt. It's not okay uh, to be rebellious. I think sometimes being transparent, uh, the Lord already knows what's going on in our brain, right? He's spending time with the disciples. Ananias has clearly made some introductions here. He's respected and it says, and immediately, verse 20. Immediately means immediately. You'll be happy to know that. The Greek word for immediately means straight away. Absolutely immediately. That doesn't mean five years later. It doesn't mean I got saved and then I've never shared my faith ever. Ever. It doesn't mean that uh, I got saved and I had to have 20 different classes to go through in order to make sure that I understand what I'm saying is correct. It means immediately. Immediately. What does he do? He begins to proclaim Jesus. He begins to preach, to proclaim Jesus. That's amazing, folks. That's amazing. It was immediate. There was such a foundational change within him that he immediately began to proclaim the Lord and what the Lord was able to do. What a 180-degree turn. (laughs) I I can only imagine being some of his friends. What? Weren't we with you on the road to Damascus? We saw the light. We heard the voice. We didn't understand what was going on, and we didn't see anybody, and we were scared to death. But are you kidding us? We came here to arrest these people, not join them. Who knows? Immediately, immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues. And what was he saying? He is the son of God. Folks, when we, when we get saved, there's something that we know. We may know, not know all the doctrine. We may not be able to have a cogent conversation about soteriology. We may not be able to, to explain dispensationalism and all the other isms but we know something. We know that God has met with us and we know that it's real, it's tangible, it's a reality in our lives and we're able to express it. This is what's happened to me. He's the son of God. How many of us are willing to do that? In our politically messed up world, Where we have been told as believers over and over and over again not to offend. I don't see Saul too worried about that. Do you? What I see him doing is telling people about something radical that has taken place in his life. All of those hearing him continued to be amazed. That word amaze is really kind of fun. It, it literally means to stand out of your mind. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Come on, you can laugh at me. I know I'm a word geek, but that's pretty good. To stand out of your mind. You're, you're like incredulous about this. Kind of like the way the Cowboys beat the Saints. It was, it was like, what? <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> Come on. Right? Really, you've you, you got to understand this guy had papers from the chief priests in order to come there and to persecute. To, to, the word persecute means to chase after people who were believers in Christ. And all of a sudden he's into the synagogues and he's declaring, he's proclaiming, he's preaching that Jesus is the Son of God. They're incredulous. Words cannot even make this up. They're beside themselves. I mean, the gossip phone lines are off the chart. Everybody in Damascus, all the Jews, talking about this. What's going on? What were they saying? Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? There you go. What? What? This is the guy that came to arrest us, and now he's in the synagogue saying that he's the son of God. Verse 22 says, but Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Increasing in strength. Can I ask you something? How was was he doing that? How was he increasing in strength? Was, Was it his own efforts? Was it because he was doing this and somehow he was exercising his faith and he was getting stronger every day? Listen, understand this. This is a passive word. This was being done to Paul. Now, Paul had a part to play in it. He had to submit and yield to the Lord. He had to walk by faith like all the rest of us. But the reality of it is who strengthens us? Who was strengthening this apostle? It was God. He had been filled with the Holy Spirit. You know what's interesting to me? Saul was very well taught. We catch that, right? He was taught under Gamaliel. He understood the Old Testament. I I kind of think of it this way. Saul had like a Rolodex file in his brain about the Old Testament. He knew it all. He knew it all. And when he met with the Lord, there was a fundamental shift There was a worldview shift. There was a paradigm shift of mega proportions taking place within his brain. And all of a sudden, he knew that he had met with the Lord. He knew that the Lord hadn't slayed him. He knew that the Lord is the Lord. And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And immediately, he was put into a position where in his mind, he went back through the entire narrative of the Old Testament. All the prophecies. Remember, he had heard about Stephen. He had heard what Stephen had to say. He had listened to those things. And I believe God had used it to goad him. And I believe he went through in his mind. And you can't read this. um, This is my uh, perception. I believe that he went through all the narrative of the Old Testament. And he started walking through all the prophecies, the messianic prophecies, the prophecies about Jesus. And as he goes into the synagogue, he's already got a wealth of a library built into him that because the Holy Spirit has now come to live with him, has clicked. And all of a sudden he goes, oh, that's what Jeremiah was talking about. Oh, that's what Isaiah was saying. And he starts walking through all these prophecies. And he starts walking through Abraham. And he starts walking through the history of Israel. And he starts confounding all of those in the synagogues. Just like Stephen confounded the Sanhedrin. Including Saul. Amazing. couple thoughts on this. Not all of us are there yet. Let's be careful of imposing what Saul did and how God used Saul upon new believers. Amen? When a person becomes a new believer, they are babies. Saul was a baby who grew really rapidly. Why? Because he had had a whole library. He had a whole Rolodex file of the the word of God built into him. And the Holy Spirit had a specific calling in his life. Do you understand that even the apostle had to spend three years in the desert with the Lord himself in order to be taught? We've got to be careful of not imposing on new believers what we know and expecting them to be at the maturity level that we may be at. We've got to watch out for that. We teach them the word of God. We teach them the word of God. Why? Because the Holy Spirit uses the word of God and makes the word of God milk to those who need milk and meat to those who need meat. And everything in between. But we get them into the word of God and we begin to teach them what it means to trust in the Lord, to walk with the Lord. We begin to disciple them and we make sure that they understand in all the midst of life's circumstances that God is sovereign, God is good. God will never leave them nor forsake them. That the Lord is love and that the Lord is adequate for these things. That God will change them. And the more they get to know God, the more they get to know what they already are in Christ. We don't teach them what they've got to go do. We teach them who they are. And as a result, God in them begins to show them what to do and he empowers them along the way. Folks, that's what this is all about. Paul is an absolute amazing individual. Somebody asked me the other day, said, "Is, is other than the Lord, we know we all want to meet the Lord. Amen. We'll spend about five bazillion years with the Lord. Enough said. But boy, am I looking forward to talking to Paul. Paul, what was that Romans 9.22 passage when you used a middle voice verb? I know, it'll get technical, it'll get, and, and Spiros will probably sit in right there too. I just want to talk for a little while. <laughs> what did you mean by that? What did you mean by that? Tell me your experiences with the Lord, what God brought you through. How did you feel? Were you scared? We know that he was scared. He admits it. Let's be careful to impose on people what they're not ready for. And let's let the Lord take care of that. Because God is able to grow us. God is able to mature us. And maturity is not a stepladder somehow to becoming more and more spiritual. (laughs) Maturity is simply an understanding of who we already have been declared to be. And the question is, how quick are we to run to Christ? Because we know that we can. God never said we could. He can. He always said that he would. Paul is completely transformed. All believers have in common with him a testimony Acts 1.8, you shall be my witnesses. Or 1 Peter 3.15, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that's in you. Yet with gentleness and reverence. That's all of us. (laughs) Can I say this? It's not just the pastors. It's not just the deacons. It's not just the K group. It's all of us have an opportunity. As the Lord leads, as the Lord empowers, as the Lord orchestrates to share what God has done in our lives. And folks, you don't need a degree for that. You just need to spend time with the Lord. All believers are new creatures. We have a relationship with God through his Son. We're indwelt by the Spirit, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. We all have an opportunity to grow in Christ. How? By our efforts? No, through the word of God. 1 Peter 2.2 2 says, Like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it, so that by it, so that by the word of God, you may grow in respect to salvation. Are you experiencing God in a fresh way? Do you feel stagnated in your walk with the Lord? Maybe it's because you're not spending time in the word of God you're not being nourished. You're not meeting with Christ, walking with him. I I remember a story my dad shared with me. He's a doctor in Pennsylvania and and years ago, and and it's always hit me. He he was um, spending time, a lady had come in and she was distraught and he could tell she was distraught. And so because it's his own practice, And I got to be careful not to get politically off. He had time to spend with her, okay? (laughs) We'll put it that way, all right? Um, But he, he sat down with her and she began to cry. He said, well, what's wrong? And she said, I don't know. Things are all upside down in my life. I don't know what's going on and I can't figure it out. And he said, well, when did this start to happen? She said, well, several months ago. She said, I was in my car and everything was wrong in my life. And she said, I was actually contemplating suicide. I got got in my car. I went on one of the roads and I was going to end it all. And somehow I had a track in my, my car that somebody had given me. And I saw it. It was about Jesus and salvation in Jesus. And she said, I read it. And she said, I asked the Lord if he was real. And if it was true that what this tract was telling me that would you please come into my heart. And she said, I prayed the prayer to receive Christ. I believed in Jesus. And she said, because of that, she said, I felt like I, I didn't need to commit suicide. I went home. And she said, but then all kinds of weird things started to happen in my life. I would go with my friends to a movie and and it was movies that I normally went to go see but I I was sitting there watching the movies and all of a sudden my friends were laughing at things that I didn't think was very funny. Or they were saying what a great movie it was and and I I said, I wasn't that great. And all of a sudden my friends started turning on me and they started saying how religious I was and all this and I've lost all my friends. And she went through a whole series of things like that Well, my dad knew, okay, amen. So thankfully, the PA my dad worked for or worked with was a believer. It was a lady, and he called her in. And he said, would you please spend some time with her? And about an hour later, they both came out of, the, out of the room, and they were crying. Both of them laughing and crying at the same time. I don't know how that works, but it works. And she said, she got saved. She got saved. When God comes into our life, he transforms us. Certain things are a done deal when we get saved. Automatic, it's forever, it's eternal, it's sealed. Sealed, signed, delivered, it's a foundation. We don't have to go back. God, in the midst of our salvation, begins to invite us into a walk with himself. And the Holy Spirit lives within us to convict us of sin. And he begins to draw us into his word. He begins to draw us into the things of God. I believe he begins to draw us into fellowship with like-minded believers so that we begin to grow. Because God is in us. And God begins to do this. The question is, are we willing to walk with him? Are we willing to recognize what he's done and learn from him and grow in him? I wonder sometimes and I just being honest when I hear people arguing about the word the relevancy of the word the applicability of the word I don't know the Lord alone knows our hearts folks but I wonder if there's a whole lot of people that have just prayed a prayer and they've never really met with the Lord because when the Lord comes in, he changes us. He changes us. Well, the Jews were obviously frustrated by this. Verse 23: when many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. <laughs> Paul was trying to get rid of him. Now, the Jews, instead of listening to what had happened to Saul, now they're plotting to get rid of him. Their plot became known to Saul, and they were also watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. This is the first of many stories of Paul being persecuted for the faith. Remember just a few verses before, verses 15 and 16, the Lord, in speaking to Ananias, specifically said of Saul, "'Go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake.'" Wow. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Because of Paul's testimony, because of the boldness of his speech, because of the effectiveness of his witness and using the word of God, all the things that he had been taught in the Old Testament, and the Holy Spirit now using that in and through this apostle, there was a plot to put him to death but he escapes the lord's sovereign the lord knows what he wants to do in in saul's life in paul's life and he allows them to find out about the plot and they lower him in a large basket in order for him to escape fascinating well what happens He's on his way to Jerusalem. He gets to Jerusalem. Verse twenty-six. When he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples. I love the word "associate" here. It literally means glue together. <laughs> Isn't that a great picture? See, when we, when we, as believers, when we come together, we're glued together. We're glued together. Why? Because we're in Christ. He's our father. We're part of the family of God. We, we are in association with one another. We are with one another in a way that can't be separated because we're part of the body of Christ. Well, Paul, Saul, was trying to associate with them. He was trying to come together with them. Man, they weren't real sure. I think we can relate to that. What were they? They were all afraid of him. word afraid, phobos, means phobic. They were scared to death of this guy. And if you look at his past history, you can understand why. They didn't believe that he was a disciple. They didn't believe that he was a follower of Christ. They didn't believe that he was willing to follow the Lord. They thought it was a hoax of some kind. But Barnabas. Isn't that great? But Barnabas. Remember Barnabas? Barnabas means son of encouragement. Barnabas was known to the apostles. Barnabas. Was from Cyprus. He wasn't even from Jerusalem. He would have had a lot in common with Paul. Because where was Paul from? He was from Tarsus. So he was a Hellenistic Jew as well. But Barnabas, the son of encouragement, what does he do? Took hold of him and brought him to the apostles. The word took hold here, (laughs) I like this picture. It wasn't that he went up to Paul and said, hey man, having a hard time? We're going to work this out. No, no, no. What he did is he went up to Saul. I keep saying Saul, Paul. You get what I'm saying, right? It's hard to call Paul Saul because he's now Paul. He goes up to him and he grabs him. The idea is literally that he forcibly took hold of him, that he forcibly grabbed him, that Saul didn't have much choice in the matter. I almost get the picture of Barnabas just wrapping his arms around him and saying, you're coming with me, dude. And, And he just grabbed him and took him on. And because he knows the apostles, he knows the leadership within the church in Jerusalem, he brings Saul before them. And he describes to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road, that he had talked to him, the Lord had talked to Saul, and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly, which means frankly, in the name of Jesus. Clearly, the reason he's in Jerusalem is because now he's being persecuted. And evidently, Ananias... Had begun to share this. Or disciples in Damascus began to share this. And Barnabas has taken the effort to go and find out, seek out, walk through the story, learn it for himself. And he's an encourager. And he grabs them, takes them before the apostles, and says, hey... The Lord has changed this guy. And the evidence of that change is in the fact that he boldly spoke of Jesus. Even in the synagogues. With the backdrop being that they had to lower him over the wall in a basket for him to get to Jerusalem. Because his life is now in danger. Beautiful picture. Have you had a friend in your life do that for you? Maybe not in this type of setting where your life was in danger or you weren't necessarily able to break into the circles of friends or whatever, but just to be an encouragement to you. I have a friend, Greg Moorhart, dear friend of mine in college. I'd gotten saved. I thought I was a Christian all my life. Circumstances in life, the Lord allowed to, to reveal to me very clearly that I was not a believer in Christ. I knew a lot about him, but I didn't have a personal relationship with him. And I felt lonely. I felt like estranged. I didn't know how to relate to people very well for all kinds of different reasons. And I remember Greg Moorhart. He was one of the coaches on our team. He was a young coach. He had played in AAA. He had come to Liberty University to start helping out with the baseball team. He had gotten saved in a dramatic way. And he came to me, a redshirt freshman sitting on the bench. And he said, Eric, I, I've got a Hell's Angels party that I got to go to. A guy invited me to this motorcycle club's party, and I'm going to go and I'm going to share Christ. And I, I would you would you come with me? Would you stay the week? Now you know some of y'all laughing, man. I'd be like, hey, thanks, man. But <laughs> the fact that he asked me, I, I was amazed by that. Like looking around, like, why'd you ask me? God had put it on his heart. Have you had somebody do that in your life? They come to you and, and say, hey, would you, would you come along with me? Can we spend time together in the Word of God? Can we spend time in prayer? I'll never forget it. It was remarkable. Barnabas went and grabbed Saul. So come on. How many people here feel alone? How many people here today, right now, you don't have to raise your hand, how many of you feel alone? And in your mind, you're thinking, boy, I would really love to have somebody do that in my life. Hmm. Folks, how many of us are willing to be used of the Lord to do that? To go to somebody and say, come on, come on. Come with me to a K group. Come with me to a D group. Come, I'll sit with you. Come with me to lunch. Come over to my house. Let me hear your story. How many of us are willing to do that? How many of us are willing to walk in Barnabas' shoes? How many of us are able and willing from the Lord to see others in the state that they may be in and be used of the Lord to minister to them and to share Christ with them? Well, what's the result? He was with them moving about freely in Jerusalem, verse 28, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord to Paul. He's amazing, isn't he? And he's not going to get put down. I mean, okay, so he had a problem associated. He knows who he is in Christ. He knows the experience he had. He knows God's living in him. And he knows he's totally different than what he used to be before. He's going to keep doing what God told him to do, which is to share Christ. So now he's in Jerusalem. Understand, verse 29, he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews. You know, that's really fascinating because who is it uh, that made sure that Stephen was falsely accused and ultimately killed Stephen? It was the Hellenistic Jews. The Hellenistic Jews, they're the ones that brought him before the Sanhedrin. They got rid of Stephen, but now they got a bigger problem in one sense. Now they got Paul. And they're not too happy about it. Their hearts were hard before their hearts are even more hard now. It makes it very clear the brethren learned of the attempt. And as a result, they bring him to Caesarea, which is on the coast. And they ultimately send him away to Tarsus, which is his homeland. And did they do that randomly? Oh, here's a great idea. No, no. Uh, later on, we find out in Acts chapter 22. That Paul expresses this. It says very clearly in Acts 22, verse 17 and following. It says, It happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I fell into a trance, and I saw him, Jesus, saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves understand that in one synagogue after another I used to imprison and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of your witness, Stephen, was being shed, I also was standing by approving and watching out for the coats of those who were slaying him. And he said to me, Jesus said to me, go for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. He escapes out of Damascus. He was probably up there about three years. He comes into Jerusalem. Barnabas has to introduce him to the apostles, to the leaders of the church. He begins to proclaim Christ to the Hellenistic Jews and the Hellenistic Jews want to kill him. And the Lord comes to him and says, this is what you need to do. And the brethren agree with that. They help him get to Caesarea, which, by the way, who's in Caesarea? Do you remember? Philip. Philip. Philip, on the road to nowhere, leads the Ethiopian eunuch to the Lord, finds himself in Azotus, works his way up the coast, gets back to Caesarea, has a home there evidently. Now he's a place of comfort, a place where they can send Saul. You know, it'd be interesting, wouldn't it? What Philip and Saul's conversation would be. Wouldn't you have liked to have been a fly on the wall to hear that, to watch them greet one another, to watch them begin to share their testimonies about how God met with them? I have a, I have a feeling a few tears were shed of gratitude to the great, greatness of God. Verse 31, we learn... So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria. It's interesting. It doesn't say Jerusalem. I think Jerusalem was still a little bit of a difficulty. Hellenistic Jews trying to kill Saul. There's still antagonism in Jerusalem. Clearly it settles down to a degree in terms of the persecution because Saul got saved. (laughs) But all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace. Can I just point a couple things out to you real quick? What does he say? So, what? The church. The church. Judea, Samaria, and he adds in Galilee. He doesn't say churches, he says the church. Think about that. We've been so divided, folks. Haven't we? We think about all the different churches in all the different areas, all the different denominations, and amen, doctrine divides. Doctrine divides. But I'll tell you, there's something very sweet about that statement, isn't there? How can we be used of the Lord with a good foundational doctrine in place? to help make sure that our brothers and sisters in Christ that aren't necessarily sitting right here, that we let them know we're not in competition with you. We love the Lord. We want to see people come to know Christ. We want to see families change. We want to see this community change. We want to see this, this, this city change. We want to see this state change. We want to see this nation changed. We're not in competition with you. The church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace being built up. And going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to increase. They enjoyed peace. Obviously in contrast to the persecution that they were facing with Saul. They were being built up. This is a passive verb, meaning God was the one building them up. The Lord was building them up. It wasn't through their plans, programs. And all. It, was, it was because they were being encouraged in the Lord and they were walking in unity with one another. And the Lord was at work in their midst and encouraging them, strengthening them, building them up. Fascinating, right? Matthew 16 where he says, I will build my church. The Lord says this to Peter. I will build my church. And the believers were going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort, the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. They had a true recognition of who the Lord was and they were learning through the Holy Spirit more and more of him. And as a result, they continued to increase. They were multiplying. They were multiplying. People saw their lives, recognized the transformation that had taken place, listened to the testimonies and we're impacted we're impacted what about us are we sharing our testimonies are in our attitudes in our actions the decisions we make day to day are we walking with the lord in such a way that people recognize that we've been with jesus we may not have all the knowledge of the apostle but we're able to share with people and they see it and they know it's true that we've been changed by god through Christ and what he did for us at the cross. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. Please tell us yours. Visit www.hoffmantown.org and click on the Tell Us Your God Story link on the homepage to share yours with us. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope you will join us next week.